It's June 2022. Episode 20. Stephanie Wagner on Cultivating Healthy Minds at Work. Welcome to Hacking Culture, exploring practices and technologies that contribute to well-being. Hacking Culture is sponsored by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. Welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I just wanted to add a little note before the interview to let you know that I have expanded the subjects that we will be covering on hacking culture. In the past, the focus has been on free software advocates and the work that they do. And now I've expanded it to include both practices and technologies that contribute to well-being. So in today's episode, we will be talking about technologies, but it won't even be free and open source software. I'll actually be talking about proprietary software. And the reason for that is my interest really has grown to understand well-being as a topic that includes all aspects of our life including our software usage. So I'm still very definitely an advocate for free software, and I try and only use free software in my daily life. However, I have realized that there are many other aspects to a happy life, to living well, that are not related to software. So while free software is definitely part of my life and my enjoyment of life, I am interested in exploring some of the many other ways that folks can live well. Welcome Stephanie Wagner onto the show. Today we're going to be talking about tools for well-being as well as workplace wellness programs especially the Healthy Minds Innovations, the nonprofit where you work. And I know there's a lot of information about you on the web already and (laughs) that people can read up on you. So I thought I'd start off as a way of introduction by uh, asking you to respond to something that you had said, which is that you thought working at Healthy Minds is basically the job of your dreams. And my question for you is, what do you think it is about your background and upbringing that made this your dream job? What a great question. Well, thank you uh, for that introduction and for having me on the podcast today. I'm really happy to be with you. And I would say, you know, one of the things that makes this my dream job in terms of my background is that my first education in college was music. I have a bachelor's of music degree and I have a master's in music. And I spent many years being a flute teacher and I really love teaching, which is very much a part of my job at Healthy Minds. And I think that teaching, regardless of whether you're teaching music or meditation or whatever it is, those skills associated with teaching and relationship building and communication translate regardless of what you're teaching. But I really love teaching and I love the, I love the interpersonal part of it. Like I love building relationships and connections with students. I love helping people learn and grow and learning is very much a value of mine. So this kind of goes to the second part of the question, which is what is it about my upbringing? I think that makes this my dream job. And part of it is just what I value. And so two values come to mind. Um, The first is learning and growth. And it has been a really, really important part of my own personal path. I've got I, got, I ended up getting another master's degree in 2018 in integrative health and well-being coaching. And so I just, I really love learning and I love being able to help other people learn and grow. So that's sort of one uh, value that makes this job so meaningful to me. And then I think the other 
value is health and well-being and and really wanting to help people be able to develop resilience, to be able to live happier, more content, more easeful lives. And that is, uh, I think, another reason why this job is, is a dream job. So it's, it's kind of a combination of the perfect blend of like my professional background um, and then values, you know, so when we can actually tap into our values as a source of meaning, it can give things like our work and like even the mundane activities of our lives, it can be a source of motivation for us. So I think when people can find the sweet spot around what makes life meaningful, that turns things like jobs into dream jobs. <laughs> wow. I am, I'm realizing now that people, some people that are listening or who are listening to this that know me may be realizing that you and I have a lot in common. Oh, <laughs> I don't really? even know if you oh, know great. this. No, I don't. <laughs> so I also have multiple degrees in music. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also live in Minneapolis, which yes. I or live near Minneapolis. So we live near each other. I also teach meditation. And I know you, I, I, I had read that you also are like a fitness instructor and I teach yoga. So we've never met in real life, but my goodness, I'm realizing we have a lot in common. Yes, we do. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. All of that is true. Yeah. So hopefully hmm. this won't be too much of an echo chamber here. <laughs> I was reading about some of your, your background and you had talked about like how when you started meditating in particular, that that was a point in your background that was really influential for you in terms of the difference in your mental health and anxiety and that kind of thing. And again, that's something else that like for me, it, it's almost like once I started meditating and seeing the results, it was like tough to not continue because it's so motivational, but I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that particular aspect of your background, like when you started meditating and how that made a difference. Yeah. I came to meditation like many people because I was suffering, you know, and I had a lot of anxiety and I would say that my anxiety was chronic meaning that it was sort of my state of being. There were, there were very few times in my life where I just didn't feel anxious. And I did sort of hold this belief that things could be better and different for me. And so I started, and, my, and I'd been introduced to the idea of meditation growing up. Like my mom is a yogi, so she's done yoga for many, many years. And she had been very curious about, you know, meditation and had introduced me to a lot of sort of alternative ways of thinking about health. And so I just decided that I wanted to give it a try and just see if it could help me because, you know, I had been doing sort of unhealthy behaviors to try and help me find some ease. And I just knew that that was not sustainable for me. And I wanted, I wanted to deal with the anxiety in a healthier way. And so I went through this whole practice, this whole process of trying out a couple of different, you know, meditation centers, a couple of different types of meditation, because there are of course, many different styles and types of meditation until I really found something that resonated with me. And I felt an immediate connection to the practice. I think, you know, people often come to the practice of meditation and mindfulness because they want some kind of outcome, like they want to feel better, they want to be less stressed. But what I found is that the path of feeling better is very up and down, like it, you know, from, from meditation session to meditation session, it's not like every meditation session delivers on a promise of making you feel awesome. It's just not, it's just not the case. Like meditation experience is very up and down, at least initially, sometimes it will feel very calm and very peaceful. And then sometimes when you're really agitated, you might discover that you have a lot of thoughts and it feels challenging to sit still. But what I did found, what I did find about the practice of meditation is over the long haul, like looking back, I found like incredible benefits in terms of my anxiety, but I also found it was a path of getting to know myself really deeply and getting to see my patterns 
and my habits and the ways in which I perceive the world that are so limiting, you know, because we sort of see the world through a certain set of glasses that are very unique to our own identity and our own upbringing and our own patterns. And so to just be able to begin to see that more clearly actually uproots a lot of what was causing me anxiety in the first place. So it's been a really powerful journey of just like really getting to know myself, but over the long haul and having a a consistent practice, really experiencing the benefits of, you know, a reduction in anxiety and just, uh, I would say, improved resilience and an improvement in my overall well-being. That aspect of meditating and it being kind of an individual journey and figuring out, you know, what works for you, why it works, where you're missing things, it's really a powerful practice. And I think that actually creates a nice segue into talking about the Center for Healthy Minds and the Healthy Minds Innovations where you work. Yeah. I'm going to admit that I'm a bit of a fanboy of healthy minds. <laughs> <laughs> you go. <laughs> my uh, my kids would say I I stan healthy minds, I think is the, uh, the cool thing. <laughs> oh man, I am not that is, that is too cool for me. <laughs> I think it's something to do with M&M. Oh, okay, gotcha. I I don't really know. So I I read this book called Altered Traits, which was written by the the founder, Richie Davidson, the founder of the Center for Healthy Minds. And that's a nonprofit that's associated with or is part of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And you work for Healthy Minds Innovations, which helps bring that research into practice. So I wondered if you could talk just a little bit about like this, the Healthy Minds innovations, what you do, like your elevator pitch for that, and how you are working to translate these practices that a lot of, for a lot of people are very personal into programs and techniques that people and groups can use. Yeah, great. Healthy Minds Innovations is indeed a a nonprofit. So we are affiliated with the Center for Healthy Minds, the research institution that you just mentioned out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And what we do at Healthy Minds Innovations is we translate the scientific insights coming out of the Center for Healthy Minds into tools to help people both cultivate as well as measure well-being. We have a step-by-step training program for the mind that, you know, partly includes an app. And then we also have workplace well-being offerings that you sort of alluded to at the very beginning, where we help people train in skills associated with resilience and flourishing. We have a unique scientific framework of well-being. It's a model of well-being that has four different pillars. And these pillars are awareness connection, insight, and purpose. And within each of these pillars of well-being, there is a set of skills that are trainable and science points them to being beneficial to well-being. And so these pillars of well-being are emerging out of a convergence of themes in different areas like the world of psychology, Asian meditative traditions, the world's wisdom traditions, as well as Greco-Roman philosophy. And so what we do is we help people train in individual skills that are within each of these, each of these pillars of well-being in kind of a step-by-step way. Yeah, that's great. And I, another point that might be relevant to people listening is that Lullabot, where I work, is now participating in this program. So I am very well aware of it. And I've been using the app and watching your webinars and learning all about this, the science of this. And there's one thing that you just said that I'd like to dig into a little bit more, which is that it sounds like one of the primary things that Healthy Minds Innovations does is to, I think the words used were cultivate and measure well-being. Yeah. So a lot of people want to cultivate well-being. And I'm I'm curious about the measurement part, because I know I was actually drawn to that. Like, it seemed like it made sense that 
if we're doing a workplace wellness program, in this case, the Healthy Minds at Work, that it seemed attractive that we could sort of measure well-being in our organization and that we could grow that. But I can understand that that's like a real complex thing to actually measure someone's well-being. And so I'm curious, why do you think it's important to, to measure? Why is that one of the, the key points that you, you folks often make? Measuring well-being is important for a couple of reasons. So the first is that on an individual level, it helps us to get to know ourselves better. And so what we do when we start the Healthy Minds program, if you get started in the app, you will initially take what we call the Healthy Minds Index. And the Healthy Minds Index is an assessment that helps you understand where in our Healthy Minds framework of well-being you're stronger and where you may have an opportunity to grow. This is interesting information, right? Like it helps us just kind of validate or see where we have opportunities and, and, and where we're strong. I love that part of, of just getting to know yourself better. I think the other thing that can be really motivating is that what will happen is that there will be times throughout the program where you're going to be asked to retake the assessment and or the measurement. And the reason is because we want to be able to see how you're growing and developing as compared to your baseline. So the baseline, of course, gives you information about kind of where you're at before you start training your mind. And then as you take those subsequent assessments, you're going to be able to see and compare where you are in, again, these certain areas compared to baseline. And again, this is, it can be motivating, right? Because we can say, oh mm -hmm. yeah, I'm improving. So there's, there's motivation there, but it also can guide us in the way that we continue to engage with the program. So for example, there are a couple of different ways to use the Healthy Minds program. Some people might go into the app and use it as a linear step-by-step -step process where I go all the way into awareness and then I go and I train and in connection and, you know, sort of follow it step-by-step. Another way that you could actually use the Healthy Minds program is by using your assessment to help you understand where you might want to go in the program. Let's say you went through the very beginning of the program where you get just a, we call it the 30-day challenge, or it's sometimes referred to as the foundations. You get like a little taste of each of the different pillars of well-being. And you could actually look at your assessment and say, oh, I see that I am, you know, I have an opportunity to grow in the area of connection. And then you can use the information from the assessment to guide you where you might go in the program next. So the assessment, you know, can also help you be more strategic in terms of how you're going through the program as well. Hmm. So do, do you think then that that assessment for some folks is a, a motivator, whereas others might be more motivated by seeing those changes in their life? Because, I mean, it seems like everybody kind of has these different motivations. You know, I know for me, it was just having these op these random times when something I completely couldn't predict, like, you know, I'm out shoveling and realizing I'm not getting frustrated that my kids aren't helping me or something like that. Like, I'm just like realizing, wait a second, I'm enjoying shoveling. I'm enjoying doing the dishes. Like that wasn't what I was going after. I I feel like that that measurement tool can maybe maybe that can be helpful just to kind of help guide the practice. But I feel like you, you, as someone who's participating, you also want to kind of leave this open to whatever might happen. So do you, could you talk a little bit about the the different ways that people might be motivated? Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a really good point, which is there's something very motivating about seeing the kind of fruits of your meditation practice or the, the fruits of training your mind in your daily life. Like you said, noticing those moments where you're more deeply connected with your values, where you're finding that shoveling isn't a drag, but you're able to use it as maybe a, a way to connect with generosity or compassion or care, you know? So it's those ways in which we might have those natural moments in our lives where we, where we're noticing, oh, I actually am having moments where I'm more present, 
where I feel more socially connected, where I feel more compassionate and, and just even noticing those moments where we're showing up differently, where we're going against our habits is a really, really powerful motivator. And then there are some people who, who might, you know, see the scientific measure, the assessment as being just like an interesting thing. And then there are some people who might think that the measure is the thing, the thing that they're really, that they're really motivated by. But I think, you know, motivation comes up in, in, in many different ways. I think the other way that we can be motivated is by connecting with the why this is even important to us, right? So why, why do I want to do this? Why is well-being important to me? Why is trait, why is having a healthy mind important to me? That's another source of motivation. So, you know, motivation can come in many shapes and sizes, recognizing that well-being isn't the same for every single person, nor is motivation the same for every person. And so really having these different ways that we can try and tap into the source of motivation is, a, is, is I think, helpful because motivation also is not always sustainable, right? We'll have moments in our lives where we're extremely motivated. And then we'll have moments in our lives where we're not motivated. And we have to be able to work with that too. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about the program is it's, it's some, some might think of it as like a meditation app, Yeah. Um, but it's also teaching you about habit formation and the science behind that as, as your website says uh, it all comes back to science. Yeah, absolutely. So one of like it seems like one of the key factors here that you're referencing is that the ability to change the mind, this neuroplasticity that um I know you talk a lot about. I I'm wondering if for some of the people listening this is hacking culture and <laughs> this idea of like hacking your, your mind. Is it, is that kind of what we're talking about? We're making something work more in a way that we want it to work or yeah, is that, does that kind of give you the creeps to think about that? No, I mean, I haven't thought about it that way, but I think the term resonates, you know, so of course, as you're pointing to neuroplasticity is the capacity for our brains to change and it's changing all of the time in response to what's happening around us. You know, often I talk about how, you know, every time we kind of unconsciously and habitually pick up our cell phones and like scroll social media or scroll our email, or every time we respond to like a notification from our computer, we kind of do it unconsciously. Like all of these things are kind of shaping our brains in certain ways. And in this way, it's not so positive. It's habituating us more to distraction and so what we're doing when we're training our mind with intention is we're harnessing the capacity for the brain to change in beneficial ways so that we're putting ourselves in the driver's seat of our own mind and we can sort of rewire our brains to work in a healthier way. So we're harnessing this capacity to change, but doing it with intention and, and really pointing it towards uh, training in more of those positive qualities that are, that are associated with resilience and flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and then when you say a phrase like that, like those are positive qualities that are associated with resilience and flourishing, I find that there's something else about this program that is, that helps people find motivation. At Lullabot, we have a little we have a couple of groups actually of people that are talking about their experiences in this program. And one of the things people have said is it's motivating for them to know that this particular program is grounded in science yeah. and that, that you're teaching things that are based off of scientific studies and other people going through a similar problem or uh, going through a, a similar program and seeing results. So that to me, like, seems like it's another thing that motivates people is knowing that like, there's good science behind this, whereas others might enter this program and, and not be so much concerned about, you know, did I reduce my depression by 28% or so, but yeah. they might just sort of have, have some trust in that system. So I wondered if you could say a little bit about how, how this, science-based aspect of it might show up for 
some folks that are using that. And if in your training, you, you, you find that to be a particular good motivator, or if, is it just really like each person finding what motivates for them? Yeah. You know, I think that for some people, the, the science piece is really motivating because they want to feel like there's sort of proof behind where they're putting, putting their energy, right? Like there's a lot out there in the well-being space. There's a lot of fluff and it can be hard to find your way through that. So for some people, just knowing that this is backed by science makes, you know, kind of helps them to feel like their efforts are being put in a good place. Like I know that the, the science tells me that if I do this and I do it consistently, even for five minutes a day, that, that there's going to be something that's most likely going to, to, to occur that's going to be positive. I think the other thing is that, you know, in the world of meditation, because it's embedded in different kind of spiritual traditions, that can be hard for people because they think that, you know, meditation is exclusively Buddhist or Hindu. And so by seeing that there's science behind it kind of removes that, that barrier of uh, like seeing it through the lens of just being a spiritual practice, it helps them see that there is actually something to it um, that is, that's tangible and, and, and measurable. So, yeah, I think, I think it kind of helps to break down barriers for people and also lets them feel like their energy is being put in a good, in a good place. That's going to help them see results. Hmm. What you said reminds me of, there's, there's a book by David Gellis about uh, mindful work that oh. I bet you might be familiar with. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I haven't read it. No. Um, but one of the one of the things that he mentions in there is he sort of categorizes the groups of people that might have objections like that. And he says that there are some folks that are like uh, traditional Buddhists that might say that that having this um, having this Buddhist practice embedded doesn't fit with capitalism. So it's like, in other words, it's not Buddhist enough or other folks might say, I don't want any spiritual practices in the workplace. Or I think his third group was um, religious folks that might think mindfulness is a Trojan horse for Eastern mysticism. And I know we can't make everyone happy, but I'm just curious, when you're teaching, do you think that by basing it in science that helps make it more welcoming to folks? Or is it I, mean, I don't even know if you want to accept his classification system, but like, can we create spaces where all of these folks might feel welcome or, or should we? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the goal. And I think that, you know, what I do hear from users is that the science does help them feel uh, included. It breaks down barriers for people. And I, I like the categories that he's speaking to, you know, that you're referring to that totally makes sense to me. And yeah, we, we want people, um, we want everybody to feel included, right? But I also know that meditation isn't necessarily for everybody. You know, there are going to be other things that are going to be supportive to well-being. And we don't want to push anything on people that isn't going to resonate with them. But the thing that I always go, go back to is try it for yourself. Like, why don't you just give yourself a little bit of time to just experiment and see what your own experience is, right? The science tells you one thing and that's fine, but really the motivation is going to come from you feeling like you're connected to this being, being something that's good for you, something that you want to do. So, you know, whether you encourage, whether, you know, a person just gives one practice a try and just tries it, or maybe just tries it for a month and just see, okay, can I do this for a month? And what might this be like? And what's been amazing is to hear people who just try it for a month and be like, I was really skeptical going into this at the beginning. And I have to tell you that after a month, I just feel different. I'm noticing changes. And so then they feel motivated by that. So I think, you know, really to just go into it with a sense of curiosity and just even seeing, is it possible that this actually might help you feel better? Yeah. Yeah, we actually at Lullabot, we had a few people that after even like a week or so, they're like, I just noticed a, a huge change. I don't want to like out what they said, but they yeah. were like revealing personal information. Like I, I just noticed a huge change in how I interact with this other person. Wow. And it was, it's really kind of, uh, you know, heartwarming and it feels good to see that, that, that real 
change comes about and it wasn't like they had entered that program thinking i want to have a better relationship with blank yeah. but that's just what happened so yeah yeah great well and i think the thing too to to remember or maybe just to pull out about the healthy minds program that's unique is that we're talking about a more holistic view of mental well-being Mm-hmm. Other programs or other approaches to meditation are really rooted simply in mindfulness, which is one skill that we do teach in the Healthy Minds program. But our program is beyond mindfulness. We move into areas like uh, skills that help you develop uh, healthy, connected, interpersonal relationships, things like appreciation and kindness and compassion. We help people develop skills around curiosity. These are, this is in the pillar of insight. And then we also help people get connected to their values through training their mind and purpose. So it is, it is also just beyond the, the simple, simple mindfulness alone. It really is a more holistic view of well-being. Yeah. I'm glad you said that too. I, I really, I like that about the program as well is that there are other mindfulness apps out there and, you know, we, we evaluated those and there are other well-being programs and the space that healthy minds occupies, I think is, is unique. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that because I've heard that a number of people say they're motivated by the scientific aspect of that. Some of the people that are working there are really the leaders in this field. Like some of, I I sort of imagine some of these other mindfulness apps are quoting research that's coming out of the center for healthy. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if that's true, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. The center in the University of Wisconsin-Madison is one of the leading centers in the nation, right? There are others, right? There's lots of other research, obviously yeah. lots of other research, but this is really one that 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 a lot of folks are quoting. What Richie Davidson did wasn't wasn't done before yeah. <laughs> when he was doing it. Yeah, definitely. They said it was career suicide when he started, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the other, the other thing, you know, so because we are rooted in science, we're taking a very strategic approach to training the mind. Like it's very specific, the skills, like we call them skills that we're training the mind in and the way that we're going about that, the way that the program is organized, like it's all very strategic. It's not just a bunch of guided meditations. Like if I were to look at some of the other competitors out there, you know, they're, they're doing their thing and they're doing what they do, you know, some of them doing it well, but often what they're doing is they're just serving up a guided meditation. Um, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily thoughtful or strategic around what are the qualities or the capacities or the skills that we're actually trying to develop here. And we spend a lot of time within the the program, like dedicated to each individual skill to really help you be able to develop it. So, you know, thinking about comparing it to training muscles at the gym, right? You know, we go to the gym and we lift weights to develop our biceps and our, you know, quad, our quads and our core. And so here, you know, it's sort of like taking that approach to mental training, right? You, you're developing a certain mental muscle for lack of a better word. And you do this through kind of a systematic and strategic approach to training the mind. Hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's nice to have that that structure when you're doing this to be able to to find a framework that you can help both use as a mental model as well as you know see charts and see percentages and things like yeah that. absolutely so i'd like to shift a little bit more to thinking about the like there are a lot of hand wavy folks in the (laughs) mindfulness uh, space and some corporate mindfulness programs. And there's lots of criticism in of, of those programs. And as I'm sure you're aware, and I know healthy minds is, is slightly different because I I think it's great. I want to sort of address some of these things that I've heard other people say. So the, there's a lot of folks like uh, Ronald Purser in, in his book, Big Mindfulness. I've heard some of the arguments he makes repeated in other books. Um, I was reading Stolen Focus by Johan Hari recently, and they have an argument that essentially corporate mindfulness programs use this upbeat language. They offer simplistic sort of individualistic solutions that are in fact rooted in 
deeper societal problems. They call that uh, cruel optimism because they say if you can't you can't really cultivate a healthy mind if you lack health insurance, if you feel overworked, if you never have time for your friends and family. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how how like a company or organization might know that a program like Healthy Minds is right for them because like there's a part of me that thinks yeah if if a if a company doesn't offer health insurance <laughs> maybe the first thing they shouldn't do is start with a, a well-being program yeah so let me just see if I can find my way into this question so you know we don't I, I personally don't view the Healthy Minds program as being like the only tool or the only solution, right? So it is a tool and a solution that um, can be embedded within like a larger kind of um, structure to support well-being that includes things, of course, like, like health insurance. You know, what um, I think, you know, organizations that want to support the well-being of their employees um, that want to give them a tool to help them really change their relationship to what's going on. So here, here's like a really important point. So often individuals are focused on trying to control the outer circumstances in their lives, right? And they put a lot of effort into trying to like control or manipulate and they get really frustrated when like things aren't exactly the way that they like want them to be. And when you're always oriented in this way, um, it creates a lot of, a lot of frustration, a lot of like a lot of resistance, a lot of internal suffering. And so what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to help people develop a different relationship with what's going on in the outer world by changing, um, by changing the way that they're working with it by training the mind. Now, um, it's, it's hard because like on one level, you want to give your employees like tools to support them, like, like, like a, the Healthy Minds program or like a, a fitness membership. I mean, there are many ways that you can do that, but then it's really kind of up to the, the organizational leaders to make sure that they've got that more infrastructure, like the health insurance and the other things in place to help to support as more of like a holistic solution. So Healthy Minds isn't the only solution. It should be embedded in kind of a, a, a wider um, infrastructure of supporting well-being. Um, I see it as like a resource and a tool, but it needs to be in, embedded into like a bigger, a bigger structure. I don't know that I answered that well, but that's. Oh, that was fantastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I mean, I know that's a tough question, but I, I feel like what you're getting at uh, or what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of people that want to put up mindfulness programs or even a, a wellness program as some something that's going to cure all of their problems yeah. are it's just not going to happen right no it's, it's not it, it's, it's like not. unfortunate it's it, there's work that people have to do in all aspects of their life because yeah that's that's tricky and then and one point that you made that i think is especially good for folks to remember is that you can essentially if, if your life isn't going well you can work hard to change the external world which yeah. is a challenge or you can always work to change your internal world and yeah. it seems like your relationship to how how you relate with everything i think that's a just a wonderful point and and does definitely address some of those concerns like this if you're if you're going to think this is the solution or this is going to make you happy and the rest of your life is falling apart certainly the science yeah. <laughs> would say that's not going to happen yeah. Yeah. And I think too, it's like from working from the inside out, right? Like when you're working with the mind, there are things that are, you're going to start doing differently as a result of, of training your mind, you know? So uh, for example, I was stuck in a job that I was miserable at and, you know, I, I got more and more clear about what I needed in, uh, in a workplace in, in a job to help support my well-being 
But, you know, without training my mind, I don't think I would have had that clarity because I was so caught up in the frustration and the stress. It was like, it's not that I was experiencing the stress. I became the stress, you know? So when you think about like some of these difficult, like emotions that we can experience, it's like, we get really caught up in it. We get identified with it. We become the anxiety, we become the stress. So when you work from the inside out, you begin, you know, developing the capacity to like see things more clearly, to be able to observe your experience rather than getting caught up in your experience. And from that actions naturally emerge, you, you relate to the world in a different way. You show up differently because your mind is different. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. That seems to be like such a tricky, a tricky point for some folks to want to accept that, that, that they can change their mind for one thing. And that, and that some, like, we're so used to talking about things in terms of, I like that, or I don't like that. And it seems like one of the things that the Healthy Minds program does so well is to help us just rather than jump to judgment, but just to kind of notice, oh, I don't like that. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, when we also learn about the science of well-being, we begin to see that our experience of things is also rooted in what's going on in the brain, you know, so we experience stress. And that stress kind of uh, kicks off the, it it activates the amygdala, which is the part of our brain that's associated with the threat detection system. And so then when we don't have access to things like awareness and this kind of part of our brain that helps us stay regulated, we just kind of spin out in chronic stress. So when we begin to kind of learn more about these aspects of brain, the brain that are related to training the mind too, we can see yeah, there's an explanation for what is actually going on in my experience. And that can be helpful. I think there's another interesting, I mean, obviously we're not going to solve all of this in the hour long discussion, yeah. but there's another sort of interesting point that you're, you're getting at is like using the science as a motivator or understanding how the brain works. For some folks, it feels like that can be a different way to have faith in this process. So, you know, some people are lit, you know, they're driven by a more spiritual sense of faith and that being like one of the key aspects of their practice. Whereas with this program, it seems like one of the things it's offering is something else to sort of have faith in. Like if you try this, we'll, we'll work. And we're saying that not just because because woohoo, you know, meditation is cool and everybody's doing it, but that yeah. like we're doing our best. Like we can't say this is going to work for everybody, but we can say this is something that has worked for a lot of folks and they've done it this particular way. And it seems like you still have to have some sense of faith in like that system for it to work. Or I guess, and this is my question, or do you think it works just as well? in your experiences dealing with folks, if they just do it, they don't even have faith. They're just like, I'm just going to do the next one on the app today and just see what happens. So could it be either one? It could be either. Yeah. I think, I think some people that have faith, um, that can be, that can be a source of motivation, but you know, the other thing that you're pointing to, which is maybe more tapping into maybe for some people it's just accomplishment, right? Like I feel like I'm just going to accomplish the thing and I'm going to do it. And they check off their, you know, well-being task for the day. I mean, for some people that's fine too. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I think the science doesn't know whether or not, you know, um, what the definitive motivator is going to be, but some, for some, you know, and even what the role of faith would be in, in um, the results. But certainly I think for some people, if it's the, if you know, you're an achiever, and you want to like, and you can tap into that achievement part of you and feel good about, you know, crossing off your practice for the day. That's great. If you've got more faith and you're doing it because it's, you're feeling nurtured by that, that's great. And that's motivating. Or if you're doing it because you're curious and you just want to see what it's like, I mean, all of these kind of are pointing to underlying values that we can help to infuse our practice and be able to see, see benefits from there. Hmm. 
Yeah, all of those different motivations. It's really, it's fascinating to me because in part, when I started meditating, I had like other groups of people that I was doing, like I was doing meditation with. And it seems like there is a unique opportunity for the workplace. And I know Healthy Minds at Works is not just, Healthy Minds at Work is not just for corporations. It's also for you know, the military and schools, yeah. and you have a long list of clients that are using it. But it seems like um, one of the things that it just offers that's unique is if you're you're seeing people at work, you know, five times a week, potentially, and it, I, I like this opportunity, and I don't know if it's going to work for Lullabot, of, of sort of a longer term kind of group of people supporting each other through this process, because so many people, it seems, think like, you know, and I, I teach intro to meditation classes and teach yoga and people just talk about like, oh, I really should meditate more. You know, I hear that so often, yeah. but it seems like one of the things that's great about this program is offering folks a way to support each other and admit that it is hard to just try and start meditating or work on your well-being or say, I should do that. And the choice of it being at work to me is kind of fascinating and I'm guessing that that wasn't just like a, <laughs> just some random choice that you all made in terms of that. But is that is that kind of how you view it as well? Like that's a unique opportunity or maybe you could say more yeah. about that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I love what you're saying so much around building a community uh, around where you're having discussions about your your practice and well-being. I think that the world of meditation can be kind of isolating because it's often that you're doing it on your own. And then we can come up against experiences or things in our practice that we can feel alone with and feel like questioning whether or not this is normal. And, you know, is anyone else having this experience? And so I think to, to be able to use social support as a motivator and as an opportunity to kind of gather around the topic of well-being, it's really, really important. And the, you know, the science points to the importance of social connection as it relates to well-being. So it's kind of like you're you're doing two things, right? It's like you're you're giving people the opportunity to like not feel alone in your practice, but you're also like developing this way of normalizing and and coming together socially around around well-being. So I I think that's great. And I would love to hear how that goes for you. you you know, because we're always trying to crack the code on how, you know, certain organizations are successful with the program. And every organization has a different structure. They've got, you know, different nuances. Some have, you know, mindfulness groups already embedded in the organization or other opportunities to practice and some don't, and they're building it from scratch. So, you know, we're always trying to figure out what the best practices are. So I love hearing that you're, you're exploring that. Yeah. I, I didn't mention this before, but part part of the reason I, I was promoting this within our company was I had been leading meditations. I think it was like eight months straight of a weekly meditation group, which a lot of people found beneficial. And I mean, I'm 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 not here trying to sell healthy minds innovations, but I, I feel like it was a nice thing to be able to say, here, here's something we can all to do together. And it's not just Matthew leading the show, you know, it's yeah. like a group, it's other people. I'm not trying to recreate some solution or come up with my own reason so we can satisfy metrics or something like that. It's yeah. like, oh, here's a program that works. Yeah. Yeah. And to feel like there's something to gather around that's not just work. And I, you know, I found that similarly in my, my former job, I used to work for um, Aveda Corporation, which is based in Minneapolis. And I was an executive director level in their learning and development department. But I did a lot around trying to support workplace meditation and I would guide meditations and that kind of thing. And to give people an opportunity to like gather around well-being in the middle of the workday helps people be better at their job. They feel more connected. They feel more resilient. They feel more nurtured. It's just, it's just a win on all levels. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been so great talking with you. Um, I, I feel like I, I want to make sure to point out that uh, Healthy Minds Innovations is not just an at-work program, that this app that we've been discussing is free for anyone who wants to use it. 
And as I understand, like most of the actual practices are similar to the at work program. Is that is that correct? Like yes, the work program does have some differentiating practices that are more related to work, and we're continuing actually to to sort of develop that library of practices. But it is rooted in the same um, skills. A lot of the practices are similar or the same. So. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely the the workplace offering does have a lot in it that's more workplace specific, but the the free app is amazing and it's got a year's worth of content in there that is very very rich and robust and it's all due to the generosity of our donors. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. and I I will vouch too for that was it was a great support for me to help launch this because that's one of the things that the Healthy Minds at Work provides is support. So yeah. questions. So if you are listening and thinking you'd like to start something like this, I can say in my experience, Healthy Minds has been a great partner in offering not just an app but in a place to answer questions. So there's my little. There's my little pitch for it. I haven't seen any data. I don't know if it's working. I know that the the materials that we got did create, we had a, a big chunk, a, a huge chunk of people sign up from our company. So I'll be interested That's to great. see how the data, I haven't seen any data, but you know, I'll be interested to see how that goes. If folks want to um, follow you or see what, what you're up to, what is the best way for folks to find out more about you? Yeah. Um, so I'll say first, just like Healthy Minds is on all the social media channels. So we've got um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, lots going on there. So Healthy Minds Innovations and Healthy Minds Innovations Community, I think are what they're under on Facebook. Um, me personally, I am also, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on social media, Stephanie Wagner, health coach. I'm a board certified health coach. I share a lot of things related to well-being. Um, and of course, meditation tends to be my main uh, area of focus. But as you mentioned before, I also am a group fitness instructor and, you know, just love all things related to well-being. So you can check me out there and you can also learn more about a Healthy Minds Innovations at hminnovations.org. You can check out the kind of wider variety of uh, tools that are offered in our Healthy Minds at Work program, which includes workplace well-being assessments, live trainings. The app is one aspect, of course, but there's a lot more richness there to explore to help uh, hack well-being culture in your organization. <laughs> is that a cool note to end on? <laughs> that is a great way to end. So thank you so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great being with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. You can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hacking culture. Please follow at Hacking Culture and at Matthew Tift on Twitter. This episode is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening. <laughs>